thanks for uh, just being here tonight. We've gathered in the name of Jesus, and so we recognize that, Jesus, you're here in our midst. We ask that you would uh, really uh, lead us tonight, guide us, speak to us. I pray, God, you'd open up your word to us. I pray that we would be open to you. Uh, I thank you that uh, your Holy Spirit teaches and your Holy Spirit brings truth and applies that truth to our lives. So that's what we're looking for tonight. Some application, some truth, God, some, uh, some real insight and revelation. Uh, God, we just ask that you would open up your word to us, apply that word to us as individuals and to us corporately. God, we give you thanks for loving us. We give you thanks for your work in our lives. We ask God that you would continue uh, that work here and now. And that we would hear and we'd grow together. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. All right. If you need a Bible, you can pick one up off the table here. Uh, there's probably a couple around. Uh, but if you need one, please uh, take hold of one. Uh, they're here for you to use. And we just want to make sure that uh, you can follow along. Going to open up to 1 John chapter 3 and verse 9. 1 John 3, 9. And as you're opening there, just a reminder that we have a service uh, for those of you that are not physically present here uh, at our Bible study that you can participate uh, it's through a website, www.speakpipe.com. Slash and it's Monday Night Bible Study, all one word. So if you go there, uh, there's a button that you can toggle and leave us a message, it's like a voicemail. So if you have a question, you can leave it there, comment. Uh, you just want to encourage us, that's great. Whatever it is you would like to leave, uh, that gets sent to us, and then I can play that during the meeting. So if you'd like to participate that way, please do. Speakpipe, S-P-E-A-K-P-I-P-E dot com, Monday Night Bible Study. All right, 1 John 3, 9. Who would... All right, thanks for reading that. Uh, there's a lot of bold statements in that, Don. Like, you, you weren't making them, I know. You are just reading them, but there's some bold statements in that. Did you see that, though? Did it, you, you felt it, right? Because I felt it when you were reading it. It was almost like you were making those bold statements as you were reading them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was good, though. It was good. So, I mean, really, right where you're at, just read that verse again. And I want you to read it and think about it, that there's some bold statements in there. No joke. There's some bold statements in that verse. And we want to look at that and... We want to consider what some of those statements are and how would that apply to us in reality. Because uh, there's some ways that that could be interpreted. And I don't know if originally when the people wrote the verse or, or translated the verse, if they were thinking a certain way or they saw it a certain way or whatever it was. But I know that that influences what people believe influence how they translate things and how they interpret things. So it could have been that they had something in mind that maybe we don't carry in our minds and so they interpreted that verse or translated that verse in a certain way but it is fairly clear 
and it's really bold. And there's some really bold statements in it that I think if we can get a hold of them and we can begin to understand them for what they say and how to apply them to our lives, they can be transforming for us. I do believe that. And so I want to encourage you to allow for a transforming moment tonight, maybe, in the way that you're seeing things, the way you're hearing things, understanding things, maybe the way you see yourself and the way that you relate to Jesus and what he's done. So that there's, there's kind of a, a cool part of this verse where it talks about everyone that is begotten of God. Because uh, if you read John 1.14, you ever read that before in the Gospel of John? Uh, that's John recounting how Jesus became a person, like a man. And, and he, he says that, and you go through that, and there's a, a statement made about Jesus in that. And uh, if somebody wants to turn there, John 1.14. All right, now that, that phrase there, the one and only, if you have an older Bible, if you have a different translation of the Bible, it's where it says the only begotten, which I think is really interesting because at that point, at that moment, that was true, that Jesus was the only begotten. And so he was the one and only, the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Now the same person who wrote that gospel and recounted that and made that statement now in his epistle it's the same guy in his epistle now is writing everyone that is begotten of God or everyone that is born of God so we went from the only begotten to everyone who is begotten that's a significant change in perspective that's a revelation type change in perspective made by the same person. And that to me is kind of important that it's the same person that's writing it. And it carries a certain amount of understanding and a certain amount of weight and a certain amount of revelation with it because it is the same person. That the same person who had received that revelation about Jesus as the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth, is now writing to the church Everyone receiving this, this letter that he's writing, and he's saying everyone that is begotten of God. And so there's, a, there's something opened up here. There's an understanding, there's a door that's being opened up here as to who is a son of God, who is a child of God, who is begotten of God. And we need to get a hold of that. Because as Paul would write, a different apostle, he would write, and he would talk about how Jesus is the firstborn among many brethren. Talking about Jesus as being the first fruits. Talking about Jesus as, as being something more than just a singularity. Something more than just a one-time thing. That is completely and utterly unique. Now, I'm not here to say we're not all special snowflakes. Because in some ways we are, I'm sure. But I, I'm not really arguing that point. What I am trying to say is this, that when you begin to consider Jesus as the Son of God, and you begin to consider Jesus as the begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth, 
and you begin to consider Jesus in his place and in that point of his life, you have to also begin to consider what does that mean about us if he is the firstborn among many brethren. And that was an obvious statement about us. If it talks about him being the first fruits, well, where are the rest of the fruit? That's obviously talking about us. So the same person who has said the one and only from the Father, the only begotten of the Father, came to a point of revelation as the Apostle Paul came to a point of revelation, as those that were following after Jesus came to a point of revelation in their lives, because the same Holy Spirit bringing revelation, and the revelation is this, that everyone, everyone that is begotten of God has certain characteristics. Meaning that any of us, all of us, are begotten of God. And so that which John had proclaimed as the one and only for Jesus then became for us. So it's being proclaimed that we are begotten of God. Now in John 3, Jesus spoke to Nicodemus in famous passage where he talked about being born again. And kind of an interesting uh, re idea behind that is, is that there's a, some kind of type of renewal that needs to happen in us. Something new, something different, something that hadn't happened before. And the way Jesus explained it to Nicodemus was that you have to be born of water and of the Spirit. And so that describes two births. That describes a natural childbirth when you're born of water. That's what I believe that's talking about. That's the most obvious way to understand that, being born of water. If you know anything about when women are pregnant and, and they're getting ready to go into the cycle where they're going to give birth, something happens. Their bags of waters breaks. And so that could be anywhere, anytime. And that signifies or that shows, okay, we're beginning the process by which a child's going to be born. And so children are born of water. We live in water until we come out and we begin to breathe and our lungs clear. And so it, it's, it's something that it, it describes a natural birth. It describes that, okay, we have flesh. But we're more than flesh. I'm more than flesh. You're more than flesh. In fact, who we really are, or, or whatever you want to call that part of us, that soul, that spirit, that, that whatever it is that makes us who we are, well, we, we are housed in a sack of flesh for sure. But that sack of flesh is going to die. But we're not. And understanding that and really getting a hold of that because we tie ourselves so much with our bodies. We tie ourselves so much with our physicality. And yet the, our shell, our, our bag of flesh is dying right now. We're dying every single day, every single minute, every single hour. Unless somehow, some way, we get taken up. Like my, like, like I get my name from that guy, Enoch. He got taken away. He didn't die. Or Elijah got taken up in a chariot of fire. Okay, two guys out of billions. Don't count on that <laughs> happening, all right? I mean, I can safely say that we're dying. 
we're dying. But as our body dying, what makes us us really isn't dying. And, and we, we take such care to feed our, our flesh that's dying, and we don't take a lot of care to feed the part of us that's going to live forever. And so really taking hold of a priority in our life is an important thing. Because the second thing Jesus said, you, you're, born of the flesh, you're born of the flesh. Yeah, we are. But he says you also have to be born of the spirit. And so there's something that, that happens in us as we come into relationship with Christ. There's a joining that takes place. There's a renewing that takes place. There's a life-giving that takes place where we're born of the Spirit. Where Jesus said, you're born again. We're born of the Spirit. There is a renewing grace that abides in us from that point forward. And if you understand those words, man, hang on to them. If you don't, you're going to ignore them anyway. But there's an abiding grace that stays in us from that point forward. And so people that struggle with whatever they struggle with, God loving them, people that struggle with God caring about them, people that struggle with God forgiving them, people that struggle with, with, with whatever it is, that the abiding grace is the constant abiding answer to all of those things. That's what it is. And so... The, the idea of being begotten of God is important to us because, you know, most of you that came from any kind of religious background, you know what your head was filled with? Ideas about original sin. All right? You probably know more about original sin than you knew about being born again. You probably know more about the sin of Adam and Eve and the sin that was passed down through the loins of men than you do about being born again. And, and I'll tell you something. If you want to major on one of those, stick with born again. Right? Stick with born again. Because at this point, that's the one that matters. That's the one that makes any sense whatsoever. Because, there, <coughs> sure, there was a curse. We know that. But the curse has been taken care of. <coughs> the curse has, has been dealt with. And, and whatever you want to believe about original sin, whatever you want to believe about the tendency of man to sin from that point on, you know what? Jesus didn't have that. Jesus didn't have that. He, he wasn't, he went about, he was tempted in all points like we are, yet without sin. He was able to live his whole life without sin. I mean, from the time he was a little kid, little tiny kid, all the way through, all the way through into being a grown, grown man. He was able to not sin. Up to 33 years old. Didn't sin. Tempted. Tempted. I mean, you think about the temptation that he was tempted with. You know, bow and serve me, the devil said to him. And I'll make you ruler over all these things. The devil hadn't come to me any time lately and told me he's going to make me ruler over the world or anything. You? No, I don't have that kind of temptation in my life. I mean, he, he had temptation, but he chose not to do it. So, so you're looking at him, you're saying, okay, well, that was Jesus. Yeah, well, you know, that's the point, though. Jesus the whole time was making it so it's not about Jesus like that. That's why he said, Nicodemus, you must be born again. How? Born of the flesh. Okay, was Jesus born of the flesh? Yeah, he had a mama. Who's his mama? Mary. She physically gave birth to him. And not Mary that we know. It's a Mary long time before she was born. 
But Mary gave birth to him. So he was born of water. All right? She got pregnant. She carried a baby. The waters broke. And she gave birth to a son. Her firstborn son. She had other children after him. She had, he had a mama. So he was born of water. Born of the flesh. Just like we are. And so then... He says to Nicodemus, but you almost be born of the Spirit. Oh, all right. Well, Jesus was born of the Spirit. How? Because the Holy Spirit impregnated Mary. All right. So, so our mamas weren't impregnated by the Holy Spirit, probably. I don't think I know anybody here whose mama was impregnated by the Holy Spirit. At least not that I know. All right. And I've met some of your mamas, and nah. probably not. But the idea I'm trying to get at is that, is that Jesus, you know, there was a spark of life, all right, that the Holy Spirit brought and impregnated his mother, and he was born of the flesh, and he was born of the Spirit. So he says to Nicodemus, you need to be born again, all right, because Nicodemus wasn't born, the Holy Spirit didn't impregnate his mom. And so Nicodemus was put in a situation, as we all are, where we have an opportunity later on sometime where we can say, yeah, I want that. I want to be born of the Spirit, just like Jesus was. Now, we don't crawl back up into our mama like that or anything like that, but what happens is, is that something changes in us. It's a miracle. It's a miracle in our heart, our mind, our spirit that we are then transformed and we are born of the Spirit. That's what it means to be born again. A seed of life is planted in us. Instead of our mama. It's planted in us. And so this verse is the continued revelation of that. Understand, the same guy who wrote about Nicodemus, John, in John chapter 3. It's named after him. It's easy to remember. John chapter 3, he wrote that. Same guy in 1 John chapter 3. Weird, right? 1 John chapter 3. Later on, time passes. Time passes. Revelation comes. Understanding comes. More comes. The Holy Spirit teaches. All of this takes place. We get to 1 John chapter 3. And we get this verse here. About the application of what Jesus had spoken to Nicodemus, he's now speaking to the whole church. And in this, he talks about being born again, being begotten of God, of the Spirit. <coughs> and, and I want to say this too. Faith is not an art. And I know people, you know, they, they describe faith in a lot of different ways. Faith isn't an art. It's not a dexterity. It's not a skill. The life of faith is actually a new nature that God puts in us. You don't get good at it. You just live it. You, you receive a new nature, and then you live out of that new nature. And you don't get good at it. You don't get better at it. It just is what it is. Yeah. What do you mean? Walk in faith more. Is there a 
stillborn. Right? Right? Everything's there, but there's no life. I mean, and maybe that's too harsh. Maybe it's a maybe your pregnancy's late. Maybe that's a better way to look at it. Like it's still there, and you can still you know give birth to this new nature, and it's just ready to go. It's just not happening. It's just there and ready. I think it depends on what you consider salvation. I mean, some people consider that initial, I've got a relationship with God, salvation. But this scripture says the trying of your faith. Other people. But there's, isn't there something else that says working out your salvation? With fear and trembling? Yes. So, So then there's others that believe that salvation is really at the point of discipleship. And so you have these two ideas about when is salvation. Does salvation come just as a decision is made? Just as a request is made? Or does... <laughs> I know. Well, there's spank his butt if he does that again. He's going to laugh when I bend him over my knee and spank him on the sidewalk. Hi. <laughs> so, so, uh, so anyway, uh, so that's a good question that I don't think we can answer. I don't, I don't even try to answer that question. Because what I look at salvation as, I look at salvation as a process that we put ourselves into. And so I don't need, I, I personally don't need a conclusion to that. In other words, I don't need a, a salvation point in my life. Like I, I, I think I enter into a, a walk. I think I enter into a, a process by which I'm becoming more like Christ. I've answered the call that he's put out on my life and I'm working it out. I backed off of that illustration because I don't want to. I don't want to leave it with oh, there's no hope. Well, of course there's hope. Oh, yeah. yeah, and stillborn gives the impression of death, or you know what I mean. But there's always hope, and there's always that place where a different decision can be made, and a, and a different different choices can be made, and we can choose to live out of the nature that the new nature that God puts in us. We can choose that. But if we don't. There's no real life to that. There's there's nothing to that. that that's working in the kingdom sense. So so there I don't see there being a compromised state. Like half and half or something like that. I don't see that. Because <laughs> I don't think you get good at it. Right. So maybe those are people who the seed of faith has been planted and they're just like, you know, letting life carry them along until, well, 
effective is that church? Well, once they wake up. Yeah, but when they're, when they're slumbering, how effective are they? Nothing. Right. So, so my, I guess what I'm trying to say is, is that, yeah, there's some states that we can live in, but I don't, I don't see any effective state except for that we're living out of the new nature. I don't, I don't see that. I don't see any real life except for out of the new nature at all. And, and, I don't, and I think John is really trying to put that out here is that there really isn't any life unless it's out of the new nature. Okay, we're going to choose to live out of that. Uh, you think about the idea of the sinful nature. You know, that's what I was saying before, like original sin and that whole idea of the sinful nature and all that. Well, we know a ton about that. But the problem with that is, is that, yeah, there, there's weaknesses. Uh, there were consequences of the fall. Yeah, that's all true. All right. But we've majored on that. We got that part of it. But we never get out of it. Provision's been made for that already. Jesus didn't die for nothing. He didn't give his life that we could be set free and have life to live for nothing. That we're still under the curse and we're still living under that. So, so to, to maintain that perspective as, oh, that's our current state. That's not our current state. You want to live there, then you're going to live there. But that's not our current state. Our current state is, is much greater than that, much better than that. Don't you show your butt again. <laughs> that distracted them, man. You can't do that. <laughs> Dude, y'all scared me, man. I turned around. I didn't know anybody was here. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you regularly press your butt against our window? <laughs> <laughs> well, I was sitting, I was sitting there. So you've backed up all the way to put your butt right in the window? Oh, yeah. Wait, wait, wait. Now I'm supposed to say thank you. <laughs> Got it. want to see that <laughs> all right all right all right back we got derailed for a second that's no, okay man it's all right all right, all right. so <laughs> so so the idea of if you can do this in your brain because everybody's got this idea from the old testament from the fall whatever that the sinful nature and all that if you can do this in your brain is that this is that we've been given spiritual life there's been a replacement that took place and so we've been traded out for that nature for the new nature. And so if we're not going to choose to live out of the new nature, we've got another nature we can live out of, but we're better off we can replace it and live out of the new nature that God's given us. So, so that's the idea, given life, real ongoing life by God's own nature. That's what he gives to us. So why do we hang on to the other? Used to it? I don't know. Scared? I'm not positive. Stuff you like about that, I don't know what to tell you about that. All I can say is, is that there's something better that God has, and we can choose to live in that or not. And you think about that, about other things in your life. How many things in your life that you held on to the old thing way too long? And then you found out, you moved to something else. Maybe you were, didn't know how it was going to work, or you weren't sure if it was going to be any good, or you didn't know how to operate it or whatever, and you held on to this old stupid thing for way too long. And then you got to the new things, like, why didn't I do this sooner? I mean, really? 
there's probably things in your life you can think of like that. Why didn't I switch to this sooner? Why wasn't I, you know, doing this? And you saw other people doing it. They, wow, they seem to be doing okay. And you finally got the courage to switch over, and then you're like, all right, yeah, that's all right. It's good. I like this. <laughs> and uh, and so so this is one of those things where it may be just because it's different. And if you got if you came to know Jesus later on in life, maybe it was just something that that it was you've been used to something for too long. And so switching over was something a little bit more difficult for you. If you came into relationship with Christ early on, probably not a big deal. Probably not that big a deal to switch over if you were instructed to do so. And if people really encouraged you toward that and really encouraged you to move forward and to switch and to do what it was that needed to be done. So let's look up a couple verses. 1 Peter 1.23. 1 Peter 1.23 and then James 1.8. I think it's 8 or it could be B or 13. I'm not positive, but I'm going to go with 8 right this second. Okay, 1 Peter 1.23. Anybody? For you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through, through the living and enduring word of God. All right. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to handle that right this second. Here's another apostle, Peter. So, we, so we've been looking at John, the Gospel of John, same guy, 1 John. Now we've got Peter, who's a different apostle, talking about the same thing. Understand, this is revelation. Understand, this is something that God revealed to the apostles to take into the church. This wasn't to be ignored. This isn't something to just look at and say, oh, well, that's a great idea. It is a great idea, but it's something to be applied. I mean, John wrote about it in, in, John, in the Gospel of John chapter 3, but then you're seeing it reoccurring later on in the epistles. So this is a revelation to the church. This is something we need to understand and we need to apply. So what does he say there? He talks about his seed remaining. All right, so you can think of that a couple of different ways, but euphemistically in the Bible... What does that, what, what sometimes when it talks about the seed, what does that indicate? Huh? Good word of God. What else could it mean? Offspring, right? All right, so, so you get the picture of planting seeds in a field. You got that one? Farmer went out to sow and he sowed some seeds in a field and the plants cropped up and stuff. It also can be used for having a family. It can be used for offspring. It can be used as, as something as the word of God or as a word of truth. It's used as seed. How about faith? Faith, faith as a mustard seed. All right, so there's a lot of different ways that it's used, but I want you to think about how Peter is saying that the seed, a seed of God, has been planted in you. What I say about being born of the Spirit? What does the Holy Spirit need to do in us? Plant the seed. Right? Just like he did in Mary. And I'm not trying to be I'm not trying to be weird or anything here. I just want you to get it. It is the same illustration being used over and over again. That the Holy Spirit plants the seed in us. And the seed remains. According to Peter. That it remains. It doesn't go anywhere, it doesn't die. 
Nothing happens to it. It remains in us and is a germ. And I mean that, you understand what I mean? It's a germ of divine origin. That's what it is. Okay, James 1 8. Somebody? Is that the one? Okay. What about 113? And tempted, no one should say God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. Uh, how about B? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I had a bad feeling about that one, so. He chose to give us birth through the word of truth that we might be a kind of first fruits. That's good. Where was that? 18. 18. Perfect. Read that again. He chose to give us birth through the word of truth, that we might be a kind of first fruits of all he created. All right. Thanks for reading that. So again, giving us birth. Whole idea behind that. Whole idea about his seed in us. Whole idea about us being first fruits. In other words, that which God is doing and continues to do and will continue to do. Okay, somebody else. Matthew thirteen twenty six. So I want to talk about the nature of what he plants in us. It's divine, and it's the germ of the divine origin that's in us. Come on, Matthew 13, 26. Hopefully that's right. When the wheat sprouted and formed head, then the weeds also appeared. All right. So what kind of seed has been planted? It's not just a word. All right. It's not just truth. Or else it'd be the same thing in each one of us. But what's been planted in us produces something a little bit different in each of us. That, that nature and that <coughs> understanding of what God is doing in us, that nature of who God is through us, appears differently depending on who the person is. So in other words, the, the expression of the divine nature through me, or me living out of that nature in my life, is going to be expressed a little bit differently than the way it's expressed through you. You know, if we don't look the same, we don't talk the same, we don't have the same background, we didn't go through the same thing, we don't have the same gifts, we don't have the same calling. None of those things. And yet if there's a divine nature that we can draw from and that we can live through. And it's something that God has for each one of us. And so there is a word, but it's God's word expressed in us. There is a truth. It's God's truth being expressed in us. It's being applied directly to you and being applied directly to me. It's his truth for you. It's his truth for me. And now is there a huge difference between those? Probably not, but there's enough of a difference that it's going to be expressed through me differently than it's going to be expressed through you. So it's going to look different. It's going to seem different. People are going to see it differently through me than you. And that's good. That's the way it's supposed to be. If we're not just making it up and we're not manufacturing something and acting a certain way or living by a set of rules and we're really allowing the divine nature to express through us, we're going to be a little bit different from each other. And that's a good thing because that's real. That's real. God never made us to be exactly the same. God never made us with any expectation that we're going to sound alike and look alike and do the same stuff. The body of Christ has differences in it for a reason. 
That expression needs to take place. That's why he goes to all the trouble. It's like, well, the hand is not the foot, is not the whatever. Yeah, right. You know that in your body. You look at your body. You can see that. My fingers aren't my toes. My ankles aren't my wrists. My legs aren't my arms. Okay, obvious stuff, right? Well, then why do we expect everyone's going to look like us? Why do we expect everybody's going to sound like us? Why do we expect that everyone is going to express their faith the same way that we do? Why? All right, and we're going to judge the other person when they don't. That's bad news bears. You can't do that. No. You do that, and not only are you messing up people, you're messing yourself up too. And you're messing with the body of Christ. Stop it. Just stop it. Stop it. You know, the finger is more important than the toe. Really? Only to the finger. Yeah. You know, the leg is more important than the arm to the leg. All right? So understanding that, that yeah, from our perspective, things may seem a certain way, but we have to be careful that that's not how God sees it. That's not the way he created it or intended it. Dave. Right, and they have different uses. Right. In other words, like using that illustration, like you would. Right, right. And eating apple isn't the same as the apple you use to make a pie. Right. So, yeah. All right. I also hear the analogy cutlery theater. Cutlery theater. That was a good one, actually. Because you have forks and spoons and knives. Oh, and chopsticks. And we need them all. And the spork. <laughs> the spork. You got a hybrid. I thought when you said about the sweet, that that in that itself, I had always felt it was something that's like nothing should be. Right. But once you get that, you know, seed, the seed is planted, it's not gone. Right. You know, I'm going to confess that. I still keep coming back. I right. Still What are we going to do with it? All right. This is what we're talking about. It's like, what do we do with that now? All right. So we got, we got the, the seed planted. It's not just a word. It's a word for you. It's not just a truth. It's truth for you. The way you can understand it, the way you can receive it, and the way it's going to express through you and how it looks. It's going to look like it looks through you. Now, what about the drive to sin? Right? It stops. And here's the thing that, that these verses all agree on. 
And, and this is where I, I want to, because that's a bold statement. And I want to talk about that bold statement a little bit. That drive stops. And, and the statement that's made is this. I want to read the statement to you. It's like, let us not serve or indulge what Jesus came to destroy. Let us not serve or indulge what Jesus came to destroy. See, the drive to sin is gone. The choice to sin remains. In other words, can we choose to sin? Sure. Can we indulge it? Absolutely. Could Jesus have indulged it? Yes. He could have chosen to sin. That's the same. That him for us. All right. So the bold statement is the drive is gone. I believe that. The choice remains. And we can choose to indulge it if we do. And, and this isn't talking about absolute perfection either. That's not what we're talking about here. We're not talking about the whole idea that we will never sin again. I've met people who've told me that. I've met old people. I, I, and I've told you this story before. I, when I used to travel, that every now and then I'd be in a church. And then some old person would come up to me, obviously offended by something I said. And they would tell me that they hadn't sinned in word or deed for 40 years or 30 years or 20 years or 50 years. And believe that. They believed they, they hadn't sinned in word or deed for 50 years. And they were old, and I'd just stand there and be like, wow, awesome. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> John also said, if you say you're less than your liar. Right. <laughs> right. I just, you know, I was like, wow. You know, they're old people, you know what I mean? I don't know. What are you going to do? <laughs> I don't know. Okay. You know, it's like, all right. So we're not talking about absolute perfection. But can we talk about habits? Can we talk about character? Yeah, sure we can. And, and that's really what this is beginning to, to manifest as in our life, that it begins to manifest in habits changing in us. And it begins to manifest in our character beginning to change. Because this verse, I mean, it's a super bold statement. It's like, he says, they cannot sin. They didn't say they don't sin, does it? It says it doesn't say it's not just not sin, it's they cannot sin. So life remains, and that seed remains in us, and that seed never dies. It's a real spiritual life in us, an abiding that can never die. And that's powerful. That is powerful. And as that begins to take hold in us, it produces in us a different way to live. Not because we're forcing it from the outside, but because it's, we're changing it from the inside. Something really powerful takes place. Now, uh, Genesis 39.9, somebody look at that. Martin Luther, Martin Luther, the German guy, all right, 500, you know, Martin Luther, 15, 500 years ago. Martin, no, not him. Martin Luther described this as this. This is his commentary on this. He says, we are wounded, but we never make peace with our foe. 
And that's the way he described it. Like, we can get wounded. We can we get hurt. But we will never, ever, we cannot make peace with our foe. Not going to happen. Okay, so uh, Genesis 39.9. And if I remember what this is about, this is going to be a slight miracle. All right. He is not greater in this house than I am, nor has he kept back anything from me except you, because you are his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? All right. So that's uh, Joseph, correct? And he's at the house of Potiphar, who he works for, correct? And Potiphar's wife is trying to seduce him, trying to get him to get with her and he says and this was his response he's like no no I, I can't I said I work for your husband who is my master and he has given me everything he has given me complete and utter charge of his house money servants power anything I've ever wanted the only thing he has held back from me is you He's talking to the wife. And he said, how could I do, how could I sin, how could I do this great wickedness against my God? And I want you to think about that statement. Because that's a statement that is an illustration of what we're reading about here. It says, well, if, you're, if you have this seed in you, this life in you, you have this nature in you. And he says, you can't, you cannot. So in other words, he looked at the situation and he made a choice. He could have chosen to, right? Sure. But he couldn't, I don't think that he could have justified that. I don't think he could have come to any other conclusion other than what he came to because the, the real question that he had wasn't, will I get caught? The real question that he had was, how could I do this against God? And that's where his heart was. It wasn't all about I'm gonna get caught or I'm gonna get in trouble or you know this is probably not the the most moral thing to do or it wasn't any of those kind of considerations. You know what the consideration was? How could I do this wickedness against God? That was the consideration because his heart was for God, and so he made a decision based on that, and he went running out of the house. But she grabbed his cloak as he was running, and she accused him anyway of trying to rape her, and he got thrown in prison. He did the right thing, but then he got thrown in prison. So he got his, he got his bumps, he got his bruises, but you know what? According to Luther, uh, Martin Luther there, he says he never made peace with his foe. Because the devil was out to wound him. And you know what? If he'd have given in and secretly just done whatever that woman wanted him to do, he would have been in a lot worse state than he was sitting in prison. He was better off. Making the decision he made, facing the consequences he faced, because in the end, God made him second in charge of all of Egypt. And he was able to save his own family and able to save his own people. But he didn't know that then. 
but that was later in the story. It was later in his life. So I just want to take a few moments to encourage you on a couple things here. First thing is that there's a seed that's planted in us as we really ask Jesus into our lives. He gives us a seed of life in us, a divine seed, something that never fades away. It doesn't diminish. It doesn't go away. It's there. And we need, as, as we're kind of looking at that and thinking about that, our, our life isn't a negotiation with that. We're not negotiating with Jesus about how much we want to live out of that life, how much we want to live out of the life that he gives us. We're not negotiating that. It's like, oh, Jesus, I'll live 50% of my life out of the life you give, out of the nature that you have for me, the new nature that you have for me. I live 50% of my life out of that. Now, it's not a negotiation. It's not 40%. It's not 60%. It's like you have a new nature you can live out of or you have an old nature you can live out of. Your choice. There's no real negotiation to it. You just make a choice. And as you make that choice, your life is going to change. And it could change for the better. It could change for the worst. I have no idea. You want to choose to live out of the sinful nature? It'll change toward that. You want to choose to live out of divine nature? It's going to change toward that. Your choice. You make that choice. But I do know one thing, that if I'm reading in the gospel and I'm seeing Jesus teaching on it, right? And then I'm reading in the epistles and I'm seeing the apostles teaching on it and expanding the idea behind it, this must be something important. That's what I do know. And, and whether or not you've taken a hold of that and you really apply it to your life, I can't answer that. But if it's important enough for two different apostles to expound on it and for Jesus himself to teach it, I think we need to take hold of it somehow. We need to take it up in our own hearts and our own minds and at least consider, okay, God, today, tonight, maybe, is what you have? And go from there. Just ask you to pray with me for just a moment. And I mean, just I'm trying to force anything. Seriously. This is such a, an individual decision. I, I have nothing to do with it. But that's between you and God. So Jesus, we want to say thanks that you give us life and that we can be born again. That we can be begotten. We're begotten. Like Jesus was. And that there's a seed that's planted in us that's divine. The germ of the divine is in us and it never fades away. So thanks for that. Jesus, I, I pray that you would, as, as we consider who you are and what you're doing in us, that we can make a better decision. And I do pray that. I pray that that grace that abides in us would, would really move on our hearts tonight. That we can make a different decision to live out of the nature, God, that you have implanted in us. A nature that we were created with. A nature that was a part of your original plan and your original purposes for us. A nature that 
excludes whatever it is that says the devil made me do it or whatever. Whatever stupid thing we come up with as an excuse to do what we want to do. So God, tonight I, I just ask you that we would live out of the nature you've given us. And, and take our place in the creation as you willed it to be. So tonight, thanks. Thanks for a good and a new nature. Thank you, God, that we have a choice to make. Thank you, God, that we're not just being led around and that we have no uh, decision to be made. But God, you, you give us that choice. You give us that freedom and you give us that liberty. And God, we, we thank you for that. I pray that we would exercise that liberty and that choice tonight to your glory and to your honor. Thanks. Thanks, God. I pray that you'd encourage us. I pray for people that came in here a little bit down tonight, they'd be encouraged. That we have a choice to make. I pray we choose life. Take a moment, and wherever you're at, wherever you're at, just even make your choices. Thank you, Lord. God, I pray something changes and that as we make different decisions to live where we're going to live out of the stuff really begins to change in our lives in our relationships in our expectations in our vision and how you use us God I give you thanks and praise tonight yes these things in Jesus name as we were saying amen 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 Good to see everybody tonight. God bless you, and we'll see you again soon.